welcome back to another episode of Artist Avenue. Today I will be talking to the wonderful Matt Powell. Matt is a director, producer, video designer, editor and queer artist working predominantly in musical and queer theatre. Over the past seven years, Matt has created and produced an array of film and theatrical experiences through digital performances, community projects and youth productions. Matt is a 2020 graduate of the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama with a first-class honors degree in theatre practice performance arts. During their studies, they became the first student to work for MA Music Theatre as assistant director, supporting the public productions of the 2019 and 2020 cohort. They have also regularly assisted Adam Lenson on various new musicals. Matt produces a variety of theatrical experiences through MP Theatricals. As a creative producer, Matt supports and creates innovative new musicals and LGBTQ driven work, both on stage and online. Alongside directing and producing, Matt is a video designer and editor. Recent designs include Public Domain. As a queer identifying practitioner, Matt has a passionate interest and commitment to developing LGBTQ work. In addition to their work in theatre, they are an emerging queer artist. Performing as anatomy, they use drag to explore their gender queer identity in a colourful array of characters. Matt's artistic mission is to create excellent music-driven entertainment, support artists, amplify LGBTQ voices, and celebrate all aspects of their own and others' identities. Before we dive into Matt's incredibly unique journey, I would like to remind you that due to the current circumstances, we had to record this episode remotely via Zoom. Therefore, the quality might suffer at points. Nevertheless, please keep listening. As I always say, for a 2021 podcast, it's content over technical quality. So without further ado, enjoy this fabulous episode. Welcome to Artist Avenue. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to virtually see you again. It's yeah. Nice. <laughs> do you want to tell us a bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so a big question. So I'm, I'm Matt, my pronouns are they, he, and I'm a director, producer, video designer and queer artist working predominantly in musical theatre and LGBTQ plus narratives. I do a lot of digital work at the moment as the world does but like my interests are very much driven in contemporary queer musicals and I also uh, develop my own queer work alongside that as well. Exciting. I love I love everything that you do. Like the mixture of what you do is just incredible. Do you want to take us back to your once upon a time, the beginning of your journey? Yeah. Oh gosh. So I think like most people, I fell in love. I fell in love with theatre through like going to youth things um and sort of companies that would be like after school clubs and stuff like that. And I always just had a real love for it. I was a big fan of sci-fi as well when I was younger. So I was a massive Doctor Who fan and was just fascinated at how they could make these stories come to life and performed for a while. Wasn't very good at it looking back. Um, Like I I can sort of sing, I can sort of move my legs, but you know, it sort of works. So, but yeah, then I basically, when I was 17, decided that I wanted to make theatre, I wanted to direct more than I wanted to perform, but there weren't any particular clear avenues. So um, I was talking to some friends who I was in an Amdram company with and 
I then bought the rights to do Avenue Q and age 17 I directed and produced a production of Avenue Q locally which was kind of bonkers like looking back at it I sort of had no training I had no no real mentor or anything like that I just got up and did it and it was then sort of I didn't stop I've done I've kind of have not had a break since 2013 <laughs> I think it's fair to say that's great though how did your because obviously you started with Avenue Q then but how did your journey evolve then going to study yeah it was I so I spent after doing Avenue Q I basically like set up a big sort of community and youth company back home where we would do like for the youth groups we would do the big sort of west end name musicals like your lame is and stuff like that on a really grand scale that they hadn't been done before and i also then kept doing community shows like american idiot and bear a pop opera sort of some slightly more niche things um i've been doing that for four years i think it was three or four years and i kind of came to a point where i was really wanting to make it a career because i was having to be a temp and work in HR around the same time I was doing all of this theatre work um, sort of in the evenings, literally did not stop. And every time I applied for a job, I would be pushed away because I had no professional experience, which I find a bit of a sticky label because I was, you know, I was in my 20s running a youth and theatre company across Mm. the Midlands. Like it was, it was quite a big deal. And so I initially looked at musical theatre training so I thought well I've seen people go down that route where they've trained as a performer and then gone into directing did some terrible <laughs> terrible auditions um and then came across some sort of more performing arts dash sort of theatre courses that are a bit more general and on a whim after a terrible musical theatre audition, I um, applied for a few courses that were a bit more theoretical driven and or like weren't necessarily directing and producing courses because they don't really exist until you're on an MA level and applied for the, yeah, applied for a few. I had an interview at Central um, for their performance art theatre practice BA. And then a couple of hours later, I found out I got in, which was a real shock to the system. So the reason I ended up training, and training is quite a loose word because I probably wouldn't define the course I did as drama school training, was because I I needed something to open the professional doors as Mm. the gatekeepers were. It felt like the gatekeepers were wary of any experience that wasn't normative, that sort of university training kind of route, which I think... I'm seeing a shift in now there are a lot more opportunities for people who are not you know accessing higher education to go in and work within theatre but at the time there really wasn't much of that at all. I kind of took a gamble on this performance art course um, at Central and it has paid off I think it's fair to say yeah. I think it has really paid off. (laughs) (laughs) It's not as if you haven't done anything. Yeah no I did it and like you know did the student life and all of that no it it did it was a I had like a a very different experience to I think what I could have had with it but I think the the main thing I was so grateful for is it opened so many doors and that's that that's been the real beauty of what that time studying and training was. Mm. No that's so interesting because I think 
I was discussing this with some other friends actually because we were like why do you go to drama school because there's like this whole debate whether you should go or you shouldn't and like no route is right or wrong but I think obviously you get your training yes in whatever field you choose to apply in but I do think the connections are one of the biggest things that come with wherever you go and train in a way. Absolutely I think any higher education experience is what you make of it and I think the thing that sometimes they don't promote enough is that a lot of it is about how you use that space that you're in to get what you want because you know my, my course was very performance art tailored it was looking at live art practices and things like that and a lot has crossed over into my practice today in the many hats that I wear and it I the thing I really went to central wanting was to one be where it seemed everything was happening in London and be able to go see lots of different sort of theatre but also to meet people and to you know pull on any connection that was made because you just you never know where the paths will align or take you. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you about your I always wondered this I mean it's probably going to be obvious the answer but you know how we did the MA in music theatre and it was like Mm. really really practical was your practical the side of when you came and like helped out in assisting directing and all that? It's, and it's, it's a good question. So my course sort of was productive, say predominantly based in live art and practice. So there were people like me who were wanting to direct, be it musical or plays and or film and stuff like that, to movement people who have beautiful movement practices. A couple of my housemates who also did the course, they have like incredible movement practices that they developed in that space. Some sort of more extreme live art examples. Um, and visual art as well so there was not one person in the room who was the same and the course in the first year was a bit more prescriptive so we did a module with the entire theatre practice cohort from stage managers to lighting to production and all of that um which explored kind of the fundamentals of what performance was and then we did a module on solo writing and then a module on an immersive project and then as we went into our second year after a sort of design scenography module we were given the opportunity to do work experience and the reason this is sort of where my journey really started I found was an opportunity came up to assist on the MA music theatre course um, with a fantastic director called Maya and it was on a device musical and I was like, oh my gosh, this is me. This is so me. I've got to do this because like I've been looking for an opportunity to assist, to shadow a director. That's what my um, personal tutor had said, find that opportunity. And I so then I spent six full time, basically a full time job working on this on this show with, with Yule. And it was <laughs> such an incredible experience. Like I have such fond memories of the show we made and all of that. And halfway through the course leader, Paul Barker, came up to me and said, do you want to assist on our next show, which was Into the Woods? And so I was like, yeah. And basically <laughs> Paul very kindly took this like <laughs> plucky second year BA student to be the first sort of like assistant on the MA course and I kept coming back we did all sorts of little bits and pieces and I was always welcomed with open arms I came to like help on the showcase and stuff like that and then we did Into the Woods where I met Adam Adam Lenson who's a phenomenal director and producer of new musicals and like an incredible advocate and just sheer inspiration and 
again, then he took me under his wing and then I've assisted him throughout sort of my final year. And I'm grateful to Central because they allowed me with a little bit of resistance and a little bit of fighting for it. They allowed me to, they allowed me the opportunities to assist, to go and do jobs and things like that and really eventually like nurtured it. So the, the good thing about the course I had was it didn't prescribe you to just be one way. It wasn't like this is performance art. It gave you the space and flexibility to an extent to develop who you really wanted to be and what you wanted your journey to be. So yeah, I had a very non-normative drama school experience because I technically did an MA while doing my BA. It's the joke. And I've done it twice because I've supported two year groups. So it's a little, so um, I feel like I've got an honorary MA. I'm not sure what Central would think about that. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, obviously, you graduated during a pandemic. Do you think that actually affected you or do you think it brought you some crazy new opportunities that you've never thought about? Crazy new opportunities I'd never thought about is exactly the sentence. I say I didn't have much cancel because I was a student. I had a big new musical plan that was happening in Derby in London, but nothing had really started yet. So Unfortunately, that did cancel, but unlike a lot of artists who lost so much work and producers that had to like reorganize shows and can't like be unproducing stuff, I did have some freedom and flexibility. And my my natural drive in a situation is to just do it and to like do something. Like if I'm faced with a problem, I'll get on with it. And I think I immediately was like, well, we should make some digital theatre. And I put a tweet out saying, you know, I wonder what a digital musical would look like. And at the same time, Victoria Saxton, who I've still to this day never met in person, had tweeted the same thing. And so within 48 hours, we launched On Hope, a digital song cycle, which was um, a, a writing opportunity you know, while people were on furlough and stuff like that, to write a song around the theme of hope. It This was just when we went into lockdown. I was back home and all of a sudden was working 10 till 10, producing a digital song cycle, which with, and then the other palace came on board. I was suddenly working with West End performers. And like, I think it was, in the end, it was 60 writers, 150 performers and like a team of 10 people. Now I'm even graduated by this point and I'm all <laughs> of a sudden like doing something I thought I'd do about something along this scale that I would probably wouldn't do for another five or six years. And from, I've been so lucky and I have to remind myself of this because even on the hard days, because I feel like I've probably had bigger career growth than I would have had not in the pandemic because I've since on hope have gone on to like find ways of making opportunities, making work in very different and innovative ways and support artists where possible and create create moments of community and theatre while those doors are closed. And it's been a roller coaster. I've been lucky as well to work some drama schools, to video design and edit quite a lot of shows as well. It's just been crazy, but also not the route I expected to take at all. Like I think mm. I honestly thought I'd be working for somewhere by like like by now, but I'm a freelance producer, which again is something that I didn't think I'd be doing on the scale I'm doing for another five years. And the, the real irony was in our final term at Central, as all this was going on, we had to write a five-year career plan. And I was like, but we can't even predict like tomorrow. Um <laughs> So in my in my in the in my way, I wrote about like 
concepts of queer time and how like you can only really predict you know you have to live life in the moment and crisis really makes us aware of that and you can't fully predict and plan the future I had a conversation with an agent as well who was like you know your life will take so many different turns and you'll go in so many different ways so just breathe with it go with it and <laughs> sort of see what happens and that's what I've done and yeah my track record of the past year has been stuff I never ever thought I'd do but I'm doing it and it's mad <laughs> and yeah. it's wonderful because it's also unique as well so it stands out like I don't know I think I look at your work and I'm like yes Matt has done that and I think that's so important as well to like have that because it's you because I, I saw on hope it was incredible did you ever produce digitally before no it was it was all it was all quite new I when I was a kid I used to make Doctor Who fan films so I like knew how <laughs> video editing work I knew how I YouTube see works them. and stuff <laughs> they are hidden away if anyone finds them you get a prize but like they are in the dark corners of YouTube <laughs> never to be touched again and I can't delete them this is the thing I would have like hidden them but I can't so <laughs> if you find them you win a prize um, but no I'd never produced digitally I've always have had an interest though in how we enhance our theatre experience because I think like I love theatre but I love a show that you have a connection to afterwards or there is something I can go to that either extends the storytelling or allows me to be somewhere I would never be never be able to physically get to um so I yeah never had but had this interest in what could be more than just sitting in a crowded space with loads of people watching a show for like 90 minutes in the dark mm -hmm. and talking about all this creative stuff <laughs> um being a director a producer and everything what do you think is a healthy creative mindset that's a really good question. I think I'm constantly looking for it. I, for me, I've always had this thing about the personal and professional because our industry, we put so much of our soul into it and we have these incredibly intense relationships with people. Like, you know, I, I joked for a while that like I was seeing, I was speaking to Victoria who I was like Zooming most like every day so I was speaking to Victoria more than I was speaking to my own dad and stuff like that like it was you know it, it's you get really swept up and it can be like these intense bursts of community and friendship and really hard work that's a graft and a focus and the thing that I really and I, I think I've got better with but I really struggled with to begin with is this sort of like being able to take a breath personally when you're out of the professional context you know because making art requires a bit of tension and conflict you know people are going to disagree if they care passionately about something but we all obviously want to find ways of making it work and you know it can be really hard finishing a 12-hour day that maybe ends on a bit of a heavy note and then you're like going home and need a relax or or whatever it might be and I I used to really struggle with that but I think the thing that I have built in my mindset as a creative is finding ways to always take a breath and like remember that it isn't completely the end of the world if the problem can't be solved immediately. I think so often we're in a space of being reactional when the best thing to do is be like, okay, that is what it is. 
let's mm. breathe and get on with it or like make sure that once we've tackled the issue head on we're like going for a walk for 10 minutes we're having a cup of coffee we're 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 allowing ourselves just a moment to breathe and then go into whatever's next um because we're in an industry that's pressured by time deadlines and most like money as well like there's never enough money to pay for the hours that people put into something in the graft and all of that so it's finding ways to be generous to yourself be generous to your collaborators i'm a big advocate of mental health in the arts and i'll always make sure that my collaborators i i always offer them a space to just talk if they need to talk or like you know if they want to spend our our development session ranting about their job or a problem in their life or something like that i'm here for it and i i always try to be here for people in the way i would want them to be there for me i don't know if that answered the question breathing and just being there and finding people that you gel and who understand how you are when you're working so that when you take that breath out we can take the breath out but they understand what your working energy is I think is really important yeah yeah no absolutely um and leading on from that what would you say do you expect from the team or the actors when going into a room or starting a new show I think my only expectation is you're willing to play I'll always try and establish what people are expecting from me from the off and I'll like really clearly communicate sort of my expectations. It's been so long since I've like had a room where I've done that. And that's just something in the back of my mind, but I always try to create a playful environment where we can find what it is together. I'm not the sort of director or producer to have, this is my set vision and you will step and click on this beat and all of that, (laughs) like in that sort of cliche musical theater over navigated way I like playing like the reason the reason we do this is we love diving into our imagination and seeing what happens no idea is a bad idea it's sort of my job as a director to navigate what anyone brings into the room and support that in the way that it needs to be supported I'm potentially doing an R&D in four weeks which will be my first time like leading a room in a really long time and I'm like really nervous about it. It's like, oh my gosh, I need to know everything I'm doing. But equally, I'm like, oh, no, I don't. Because the whole point of it is we're there to play and we're there to figure out and look at different things. And I'm very impulsive in the room. Like I'll run around with you and I'll we'll play stupid games to find character and um, <laughs> make silly staging and then refine it and stuff like that. Like I think as long as you're willing to play that, then we're going to have a great time. That's That's the ethos I try to carry with me. Mm. No, that was a beautiful way that you put it as well with the imagination, like trusting it and like allowing it to live. I think we forget that sometimes. Mm. We all arrive like with an idea or like we'll hear a song and our mind will go somewhere and we'll suddenly be thinking, oh, this, you know, I feel this, I see this colour, I want this movement, My, my body's taking me in this place and like, I love that. I love seeing something spark and come to life. And then I'm like, okay, now let's run with it. Like, let's walk it together. I never, I'm never the sort of director to be like, okay, go do this thing. And then I'll criticize you. I like to, I really like to, and always try to walk with you. So we find the fun and we find the shape of it together. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I, I'm gonna have to listen back to this when I do go in a room soon and like I am doing this. I'll be like, oh, what am I doing? <laughs> what am I supposed to do? <laughs> I'm sure you'll be absolutely fine. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. You got so. this. <laughs> um, 
Talking about new musical theatre and classical already existing musical theatre, you've directed both or you've been in the processes of both. In your opinion, what do you think the differences are? I think new work is a blank canvas or like, well, it's not a completely blank canvas. It's a canvas where a writer has poured this their imagination into like beautiful words and i i got i love writers so much because i cannot do what they do at all i've like been i've got a solo show in development which will be some sort of drag work that's happening later this year and i'm finding it so hard to write and then i look at these people who like can weave a beautiful song and a music language and oh it's so beautiful um and i love you know, I love arriving with that with, uh, okay, what can it be? What shape can it be? And just allowing my imagination to run and soar. The thing I found with revival shows or like shows that have had a life before is often people will, will arrive with a preconception from what they've seen. And I'm a big believer that reviving a show should never feel like a carbon copy else. What's the point? Like, I have yet to, I so well, I was supposed to do a production of Rent last year and I loved Rent as um, I, I was in it and all of that. And when I was in an Amdram production, I like literally copied Anthony Rapp within an inch of my life. And which then sort of led to like, not probably a very authentic performance. And the thing that when I was going through the show, I sort of went, I need to do something with this that isn't the same because partly on the one hand, the show is aged and like what the show represents is very different to what it did back in 1996, 95, 96, whenever it was. And then like also thinking in the back of my mind about like, I don't want to make a carbon copy because what's then is my role as a director. Like I could honestly just turn up and press play on the Broadway DVD and be like, do that. Like <laughs> if, if that is supposed to be the ultimate thing. So I think with revivals, my... And I can't wait for the opportunity for when I can go into like a drama school or get given the permission to just do what I want with a revival. We should tear it up. And I, I thank Adam for that because the production of Into the Woods we did did not as like doesn't look like any other production of Into the Woods. It Very was true. like set in a, and it was set in a library. It was it was refinding that show, and I. The thing I loved, like, we all have preconceptions of Into the Woods, like with camp marching choreography and stuff like that. But we found, again, like we played and we were like, we found ways of telling the stories and it mm. was gorgeous. And I I did that with American Idiot. I did a summer school production in Chicago with 12 young women and no men. So like I said to them, we got to do something different. We're not going to do Chicago as Chicago. And so they were like, we want to do like a dystopian, like Handmaid's Tale vibe of Chicago. And I was like, yeah. And then we're like, our imaginations just ran with it. And I was like, okay, here's the parameter. We have 12 chairs and that's it. And like, we we just then kept playing and it was so fun. And I think the only impetus I gave them was like, there isn't a set and it's an abandoned space. Like you are just going to arrive in a space and tell a story. While you're doing that, we're going to work it out together. And it was so fun. And the girls all said as well that they felt they had such autonomy of the show because they put pieces of them in it and they found a way to really tell that story for them. And I think 
any revival should never be a carbon copy. It should always be thinking, how can we be fresh? How can we be responsive to our current climate? Because there's no excuse not to be um, when we're bringing back something that was. Mm, absolutely. That what you just said about bringing part of yourself into the characters, into the space, mm. into the set, that is so true. Like thinking back, actually, I do feel that we did that with Into the Woods as well, 100%. Mm. Yeah, no it was. It, it, it was no. It it really was. Like I think I I think of that show a lot when I think about how I'd approach a revival because the premise was it was set in a library that was slightly abandoned, and we then the story came to life in different ways and prop. You know, there were loads of props in the room, so we would play with props to see what would work as magic beans and stuff like that. And it, <laughs> you know, everything. Everything that needed to be there was there. I think that's a great rule to carry as well. Like you'll find what you need to in the room with what you've got. You don't need a grandiose set or, you know, a grandiose prop that's going to revolutionise the storytelling because you'll just find it. And that's, if you arrive with that toolkit and also if everyone's willing to just be silly and play, we're onto a winner in my eyes. We really are. Absolutely. Absolutely. to Empitheatricals. Can you tell us a bit about your baby, what it is, what you do, what it stands for? And then could we also talk a bit about the LGBTQ plus work and the queer work that you do? Yes, so Empitheatricals is my production company. So as a producer, I set it up so I could be a business and I could really go for supporting artists in the best way I can. Our focus is new musicals with a heavy leaning towards queer and minority stories. So we're interested in shows that amplify a voice that you've not seen or you very rarely see on stage. Um, and I don't have, you know, I love funny, I love serious, I love silly, I love big, I love small, whatever it is, like, I'm here to support you with it. And the reason, I mean, I lean on queerness because I identify as genderqueer and my queer identity is really important to me. And I did a dissertation on queerness in musical theatre and often it's been very negative or like stereotypical representations when our stories, our experiences are so much more than that. And I really have like worked hard to find the stories that are really reshifting what queerness is within the musical, painting a broad technicolor of experiences, identities, all of those things, and being responsive to what is contemporary and is now within that space. It's been a really big part of my practice and like something I'm becoming more unapologetic about is no I like I'm not interested in a story that I've heard before I want to hear stories from incredible inspiring people because that representation matters so much to understanding who you are and I in a very cliche way I owe some musical stories to how I've been able to understand myself and the first time I've seen gay people or queer people has often been in entertainment and those representations are so vital that for me with the position I have and the ability I have want to amplify those stories over anything else um, 
yeah, it's just, it's who I am and it's a vital part of my practice to make sure that is celebrated and I'm celebrating the identities of anyone that works with me. Mm. No, that's incredible. And as I said before, I think that really comes through and it shines through like from every single thing that you produce and are part of. So yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there anything that you would like to see more or less of in our industry in general? 100% transparency. I think it's a weird day today because there's been a lot happening in the world this week when we're recording and like then there have been a few things about how quite a lot happens behind closed doors I've seen a lot of and I don't understand why because at the end of the day we all have this burning passion to tell stories and I think we forget that somewhat I think there should be transparency in what we do I think there should be transparency in representation and equality and making sure we are having a fairer and more balanced approach within the work we make I also don't think people if people have something to hide, I don't think, which unfortunately a lot of people in this industry who are the gatekeepers and stuff seem to have, I don't think they should be allowed to hide anymore. Like we're coming out of a time that we will hopefully never experience again in our lifetime. Our industry was quite broken and layered in classism, elitism with access barriers that were so heavy and sticky that shouldn't be the case anymore and we should be making the space for younger voices for diverse voices and if someone's got a past they need to hide like who's sat up there they shouldn't be allowed to hide it anymore because we cannot go back to an industry that feels inaccessible that feels just heavy and using of people and all of that we have to come out better um and I think a big way of doing that is transparency in any definition of the word. Mm, absolutely. I 100% agree. I mm. think I think we have learned a lot in the past few years, especially. So hopefully, hopefully we'll go that way. Hopefully so. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean, I do remain hopeful. There is so, I, like for every negative day or negative thing you see, I always see it, some, someone else doing something incredible and there have there's been such great art made. There have been incredible careers grow that I'm just like, I sit back and I'm like, yes, you can start to see the change happen, but the change is bigger than just a couple of moments. Like change is permanent, change is ongoing and change is leaning and supporting on one another to, to make that happen. And I think we cannot lose that quality we've built in lockdown of supporting one another. Absolutely, that support. And also I think that curiosity, because mm. I think being curious about what else exists in our industry is so vital because a lot of the times I can see it just like, you know, leaning towards the like grand commercial stuff that we, that's amazing, yes, but we know yeah. that. So like there is so much more hidden, which is so much more exciting. And if everything mm. unites together, the commercial and the new stuff, I think that would be amazing if that makes sense. It's and you know collaborations and moments have happened in this time that will never have happened but the question i ask is why haven't they happened like on hope gave there was no access barrier you literally if you just want if you want to write a song we would have you like and we would find performers we would find if you needed an arranger we would find an arranger it was done out of everyone's drive to be doing something so like 
obviously money is a big factor no one was paid to do on hope and that's something that we like in retrospect like we now i want to make something like on hope happen where everyone can be paid and that is just that sheer level of opportunity that is just there for people and i'm probably speaking very in a very utopic way like day it might seem like i'm daydreaming but i do believe we can make these spaces and collaborations and moments happen i really do i think we can i think it's just that little fear it's like that little gap of like fear because might sound a bit extreme, but I do think there is something about reputation and elitism from mm. like clashing it. So if you're like, I don't know, something massively big, sometimes you're scared to let that go in order to experiment with something that might not be that big yet. And I think that might be like the little bridge. Mm. I've had, yeah, I agree. I've had, I had this weird moment where people have been coming to me for advice and like, I sometimes feel like I'm cheating. So I'm like, gosh, what do I know? Like, seriously, <laughs> like, and I give, you know, people ask a lot of like questions about how things happen and stuff. And I've initially was really scared of those conversations, but then was like, no, actually, I, I do have something to say here. And my biggest bit of advice to any artist, to anyone that is looking for permission to do if they have an idea that they want to put out there or whatever, my advice is just do it. Like there is, yeah, there are gatekeepers, but gatekeepers don't define the success of something. If you have something, if you believe in something, if you want to do something, do it. And if you've got, if you've got an itch to scratch, itch it. Like I'm doing it myself now. I'm, I'm giving this advice to myself. I stare in the mirror and like scream at myself a little bit, but um, I, I've always wanted to do drag. I've always wanted to create some queer art. So I'm doing it. And on a whim, I applied for an opportunity for a scratch event in May and I got it. Like, and the, it was literally just a scratch. People will be attracted to you. And I am so attracted to any artist that is finding ways, doing different things and making those moments happen because it's beautiful. You don't need to wait for permission. You've just got to go out there and do it is my opinion. Absolutely. In the words of Nike, just do it. <laughs> I know. It's not the best catchphrase. I'd love a sponsorship <laughs> deal. Nike, if you want that, you know, hit me up. But it really is like we we everyone has the ability to, and people will also lean and support you. I if I always love speaking to anyone that's on the verge of an idea or is like just needs that little push. If, if they're there with it, I'm like, oh, yes, do it. I'm excited for you to do it. And I'm going to be here for you when you do it as well. Yeah. No, it's magical. It's magical going into those new experiences and just, yeah, letting your imagination run free. Absolutely. Um, we're coming towards the end of the interview. And there's always a few questions which I love asking. Um, okay. The first one is a bit fun. Can you tell me your most memorable or funniest experience during a production? Oh, where do I begin? I, oh, it's always like theatre tragedy, like not tragedies, <laughs> they've always been fine in the end, but it's like when something's gone wrong, that's like the play that goes wrong a little bit. Um, oh gosh, I'm, I'll never, f I have like so many. One, for some reason, this one comes to mind. I choreographed, designed, and was in a production of Spring Awakening. I played Hanshin, who's like my dream role, 
Not that I would ever play him professionally. Um, and on the final night, we had a confetti cannon for Totally Effed, which is this big number that I'm sure the audience will know uh, all too well. Um, and the confetti was going off in the big blah blah section. And I started, like, I swallowed a bit of confetti. And Hanshin has, like, the, the big romantic scene afterwards with Ernst. And I literally ran to the back of the stage. I was like, I'm going to throw up. I'm going to throw up. This is going to be absolutely terrible and all of that. Managed to get through it. But that was a sca- that was a scary experience. I think my other fear to fail stories are, like, a bit too horrifying to share. I could write a book and I've only been here. <laughs> like, I've only been doing it for seven years. I would buy that book. I love theatre stories. They're really funny. (laughs) They are. I'm the same. I absolutely love them. Brilliant. In your opinion, what unites us as creatives? Imagination, a passion for storytelling, and wanting to play. I think the word play is one I come back to so much because I think we're big kids that just love telling, that never lost touch of that, creating worlds and wanting to make those moments i think it's that passion to introduce a world introduce a character and be i like be and celebrate that being Mm, yeah and what's the biggest thing that you have learned on your journey so far breathe is the biggest one don't i would say probably yeah breathe don't don't overthink it if an opportunity happens, it's meant to. And if an opportunity doesn't, it's not meant to. Have a bit of a cry, have a glass of wine, move on. Um, it sounds very cold, which I don't intend it to, but like this year especially has taught me I can't fully predict my life. I can't fully control it. But I'm the moments that will be made will happen. And every moment that is will be beautiful. Yeah. Yes. And this is my absolute favorite self-love question. Um, (laughs) What makes you unique as a creative? Oh my gosh, that's a question. Your reaction is so good. (laughs) God, I've no idea. Um, No, I'm very... I don't know. I love... making moments that transform ourselves, our surroundings, and our perception. I'm going to have to write that down. That's really good. (laughs) (laughs) I pat myself on the back. No, I'm, I'm attracted to transformation and I'm attracted to telling stories that open our eyes in ways we do not expect. And as an individual, I love having fun. I make great cakes and- uh, Oh my God, you do? I still yeah. remember, like this This probably shouldn't be my biggest memory from the tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> but it really is when that cake came on that Saturday rehearsal, oh. it was divine. <laughs> it was worth like crying in the kitchen for five hours making and having to like go to a corner shop to last minute buy some Kit Kats. Oh gosh, it was fun. No, but like, Yeah, I'm going to try and summarise that, like, mental splurge. I make great cake. I love playing and having fun. I love transformation and just telling epic stories that amplify voices we haven't heard. And you are brave. Oh, thank you. You are. 
Yeah, brilliant. Are there any last comments or advice that you want to share with the listeners? God, I'm just so grateful for this platform. I don't, I really don't get a chance to like actually talk and think about what I do because I'm constantly, I think a metaphor I use, I'm constantly on the treadmill and it's moments like this where like I jump on the side for a moment and, and think, I think, I so would say thank you so much. It's been like, it's been such a joy. It's so lovely to see you. My biggest bit of advice is breathe and do it. Like I've achieved what I've achieved and do what I do because I've not stopped pushing or like just not stopped doing, but find the healthy balance between your passion and your life. Because the thing I keep coming back to is I need to make more time for myself. And now I'm a bit like, ah, I don't know what that looks like, but you find that like, and you'll make great stuff and you'll make even better stuff by finding those moments to breathe and to be within the world. Yeah. Just do it and breathe. So I'm not fully a Nike slogan, I think. (laughs) Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time today and for coming on and sharing your journey. Oh, no, thank you so much. As I say, it's been so, so lovely. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Artist Avenue will be back next Tuesday with another exciting interview. Make sure to follow us on social media and keep up to date with all the artists and their wonderful projects. Your support for this podcast honestly means the world to me. For now, keep smiling, keep listening, and I'll see you all next week.